0: Hey guys, welcome back to The Anson's Podcast in the year 2018. You can tell Sam is here too. And we have a guest in the studio that we're pretty excited about. He is part of the Ransom Tart team. And if you listen across Ransom Tart podcasts, you'll be familiar with the voice of Morgan Snyder. Morgan, thanks for coming on The Anson's Podcast. Hey man,
1: Sam, Blaine. Great to be with you guys. I know the studio looks super different from the Intensive podcast and the, and the Ransom Heart podcast, but <laughs> totally try to adjust to your surroundings. <laughs> totally
2: different. This is fantastic. I really appreciate being with you guys and uh, stoked to have some conversation.
0: So how this got started, how we ended up roping Morgan in is several weeks ago, Morgan was invited by some friends in town, a church here in the Springs, to uh, share with the community there about this concept uh, in our life with God, initiation. And it just so happens that actually Luke and his wife uh, go to that church and Luke found me afterwards and just was like, Blaine, Morgan's thing. It was amazing. And so I, you know, checked out the content. And while I'm listening to uh, kind of this painful church sort of provocative treasure that, Morgan, you've been digging away at. I just realized that for you guys, our friends on the Ansons podcast, this is in the center of our world. And so Morgan was gracious enough to accept an invitation to basically come on and explain to us what the heck uh, you have discovered around initiation. It's great. Well, Blaine, first off, you just used two words to
2: describe your reaction to it. And I'm very intrigued, and I would love to hear just a bit more about those two words and what you mean. Yeah, they are provocative,
0: would be the first one that I would go to, because I think this is going to become obvious as we talk about initiation. But I do get used to, or I really love the elements of the Christian life that are really wonderful. And I really like the attributes of God that are extremely winsome, like, you know, the Father's presence to your life or uh, the speaking God or these things that actually are are so widely inclusive that I immediately feel welcomed into them. Yes, And I think that just if I'm honest, I still have a pretty strong reaction against things that are uh, required. Acquiring, and that are the places where actually the path that God has set up for my walk with him includes difficulty on purpose and yes. things in the world that are built to be hard. And I think that, you know, we're just going to discover as we talk about growing as men with God at, and listening to like this, the teaching on I almost call it a sermon. I just get so weirded out calling it a sermon, Morgan. I don't. <laughs> I don't feel like you give sermons, so it's not a sermon. It was a teaching. That's great on initiation, uh, and just you know recognizing. Oh man, that sounds really costly, and that mm. there is something in me that re- reacts against like the idea that something's about to be uh, hard on purpose. That it's going to require a lot
1: from me as a matter of course. Yes. Hang on, let me jump in here. Blaine, you're speaking from a little bit of foreknowledge and so you're bringing this this depth of what the word means to the table. When I hear initiation, I think I almost want more definition of what you mean. Yeah, it's good. Because the first thing that comes to mind is like initiation into the world of hunting Mm -hmm. and how grateful I have been for that very specific arena and how, few cases like when we were talking about it in that podcast thinking about you morgan and our dad you guys were first generation hunters yes and so there wasn't like this great swath of it's not like everybody else is being initiated and somehow you aren't yes that's not so that's a, an example that comes to mind of like being initiated into very specific things but blay in the way you're talking and the way that morgan's responding makes me feel like I don't totally understand all that's implied by initiation. And, and that's something that like I'm admitting and I'm not making up yeah, here. Like I live good. in a world where we use these words and yet I think we can use them a lot without maybe defining them. Yeah. So maybe a way to
2: get into the conversation and to not get hung up on semantics, but stay in the big idea. So Frederick Beekner has a fantastic book, the gospel as comedy, tragedy and fairy tale. And If you're familiar with the book, he basically looks at the gospel, that is to say the reality of life, right, to see life as God does, but to use different lenses to understand it. So one is the gospel of tragedy, the gospel of comedy, the gospel of fairy tale, it's three attempts to look at the same gospel, right? And one of the lenses that I want to suggest that would bring us life would be to consider the gospel through the lens of initiation. And so to clarify initiation, in many ways, the word is synonymous with baptism, but baptism is a word that's grotesquely lost in our culture, right? Because it's become a religious act. When I think what's helpful to me, Dallas Willard describes baptism initiation as being immersed into a reality. In other words, it's a full immersion into the life of God, into the life of the father, the life of the son, the life of the Holy spirit, the life of God in his kingdom. And so the great commission, you know, we see these things as this kind of some religious statement, but what's intended there. It's amazing is when Jesus sends out his apprentices right his team his brothers he says i want you to baptize people in other words i want you to immerse them in a way of life training them in this way of life and What I so appreciate is original baptisms. You have to kind of strip what you have come to perceive as kind of modern-day baptisms, whether that's an infant baptism on an altar at a Catholic church to a horse trough at a megachurch, you know, in a warehouse. They were in rivers in cold water. And a person said, I am consenting to a process. And this moment marks it where I am going to be put to death. And so they literally would get into a cold river and submit themselves to another person, cross their arms and be dunked. And if any of you have been dunked, you, you guys, you have three brothers. So, you know, what it's like to be dunked in cold water, right? You go down and you're held under water. And then <gasps> you breathe that new life as you, Emerge, you reemerge into a new reality. And so it was supposed to be a, a very physical, tactile experience to manifest a spiritual reality of a death that leads to life. And so, Sam, my response would be when I think of initiation, I think of process over time of a death that allows us to learn that there is no death that can destroy our soul, but rather it's a death that moves us into a greater life. And so initiation is a journey into a bigger life, a bigger reality, a bigger story. And so all of the masculine journey can be seen as a process of, uh, in a series of initiation experiences that take the person from a death of the false into a restoration of all that God meant, and when I say that, all that God meant when he meant them as a unique individual, and he meant them to know the reality of him and his kingdom, and then how to mature as a person in his kingdom. And so I look at initiation as a a way of perhaps
1: considering what God is up to in our life. That's really good. And and connecting some things for me in I think the difference between initiation and almost like like welcoming, like joining, because it feels like there are certain thresholds that I envision as just being doorways. Yes, and you're on one side of the door, and then you walk through it. Yes, the Blaine's language beforehand was about like this intentionally difficult thing. Yes. That, that you're going to have to experience, and that's a very different kind of doorway. Right, it's not just well, I was on this side and now I'm in the club because I paid my $50. And right. so great. Now that's a thing. Right. This this is, has a deeper implication of some intensity. Right. Well, an initiation takes many different forms, right? But I think
2: here's where it all comes into kind of alignment. So I spent a lot of time in the life of Paul and Blaine, you and I've had conversations on this of, Paul was a man who had a conversion, right? There was a moment on the road to Damascus where the person we knew as Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, the scriptures say he literally dragged women by their hair out of environments of worship. That's the kind of person he'd become. Violent, forceful. Then he has this moment. He experiences God, and he cannot speak for three days. And then... There's silence on his life for 14 years. And after 14 years, we then come to know Paul that we know today. That's one of the most heroic, masculine, faith-filled leaders of what we've come to know as Christendom, right? And you have to ask the question, what happened during those years? Because Paul has this fascinating phrase where he talks about he was saved and he's being saved. And what's brilliant is in the the letter to the Philippians, we get like a a back look at this. It's amazing. So that's the first community he established. So the first community, redemptive community centered in the life of God's kingdom, right? And so he writes this letter to them and the way Peterson describes the letter to Philippi, which is the book of Philippians. It says that Paul doesn't tell us what makes us joyful, what we can do. To be joyful he simply is joyful his joy is infectious but you guys here's what's so key so paul is writing from a jail he is lonely he has been abused physically he's been abused emotionally he's been abused spiritually that's what we know we know he's battered he's even cold the scriptures say this should be a broken man and yet the book is a book of joy It's a book of confidence. It's a book of generosity. He's the most glad person you can meet. And so the question is, how do you become the kind of person that experiences joy and confidence when you find yourself in circumstances that are simply not conducive to joy and confidence? So Sam, what I would suggest is whatever it is that is involved with our initiation, The fruit of which is something that causes us to, over time, become the kind of person that can be joyful, can be full, can be at ease with ourselves when we're in circumstances that are actually the opposite of that. And that's where Paul says it's amazing. He says, I have learned the secret to be content. In whatever circumstance, I, I know what it is to be in need, he says, and I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it, it is to be content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. He says, whatever I have and wherever I am, I can make it. In other words, now that I have gone through my initiation, it's not now because I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, but now that I have spent 14 years of being trained and learned and practiced, initiated, immersed into a reality over time. I am ready for anything, anywhere. And I just have to pause there and go, I don't feel like that. Holy shit. What would it be like to become the kind of person that can say, now that I've gone through my initiation with confidence, I am ready for
0: anything, anywhere. Do you want that? Um, I mean, I want that so much. I was going to slap the pause button if you didn't hold on this point because, you know, to create a further distinction of, Sam was just talking about there's kind of being welcomed into things and then there's being, you know, transformed into things. And it feels like, you know, What our world has a lot of is something a lot more like matriculation, where you join literally a group, or you turn sixteen and you are given a license. Yes, this is just a change. This isn't an initiation. And what I notice in me is that simply like switching life stages, yes, uh, or kind of advancing inside my job, or like even advancing in like in leadership in a community. Uh, those things do not, on their own, produce change in me. Yes. But what you've just talked about is something uh, that has so changed Paul's soul. Yes. That oh my gosh, to have the confidence of going, I am ready for anything. I d- I don't know that I know anyone at least my age. I wouldn't look at anyone yes. in their twenties and early thirties and go, that guy is already. Ready for anything. Yes. I would look around and go, oh man, we are all ready for certain things. Yes. And in other ways, a little bit of an unfinished disaster.
2: Absolutely. Okay, Blaine, you are touching on something very vital because, and again, all that I'm sharing. I've stolen, okay? I have learned from other men. My hope is to say nothing new. My hope is to recover the treasure of the gospel that's been lost. So everything that I offer, it's from elders that I've sat under. But what you're describing is what's so fascinating about this unprecedented time in history is most cultures, in other words, all cultures before the modern age, the information age, the technological age, required initiation. And here's why. Survival depended on it. So whether by intention or unintentional, men were initiated, okay, because you could not survive as a people group, as a tribe with people leading that were fundamentally self-centered. You couldn't get food, clothing, and shelter. And so boys were required to be men out of survival, And so you have very intentional initiation cultures and then very unintentional, and yet they were still initiated. And we can talk more about that in detail. But what's so important is in our modern culture, there is a way to becoming a man externally without ever being initiated internally. And what you get as a result are men, who cannot be entrusted with power. And you look in the news right now, we are in a pandemic of confession of sexual deviance among powerful men, right? Women are finally coming together in droves to call out the abuse that they have lived under for decades out of fear because men use their power for self interest. They were uninitiated. Your dad wrote about this in Father by God, where he says, What we have now is a world of uninitiated men, partial men, boys mostly walking around in men's bodies, men's jobs, and families, finances, and responsibilities. The passing on of masculinity was never completed if it was begun at all. The boy was never taken through a process of masculine initiation. And so, what we encounter when we encounter most adult men are uninitiated portions of them inside. And that used to not be a social reality until this day and age. But the promise and possibility of the gospel is this can become the major theme. And so that's why I call it the lens, a way of viewing the gospel's initiation. And for example, like you said, Blaine, in our culture, the biggest marks are turning 16, right, when you can drive, or graduating from college, or turning 18 and you can vote, or 21 you can drink, because we've lost a larger story. We, we simply lost a larger context, but our story of masculine initiation, the kingdom, is far bigger than our social story. And so, for example, my son is 13, and he got a phone yesterday, and it was a beautiful, awful day for me as a dad. For two years, he's been wanting one. He's one of the last kids to do it. And he is on time. He is ready. And why it was beautiful was because it wasn't a birthday gift. It wasn't a Christmas gift. It was a marker for his initiation. And if you ask him why he got his phone yesterday, he won't tell you because I asked for it. And he won't tell you it's because it's Christmas. He will tell you because this is part of my initiation. Because he is in a 10-year process, and he's in the centerpiece of it in his vision quest of going through intentional initiations where he doesn't fully understand. He's 13. He doesn't know. But I'm guiding him through a process where he has markers, where he is slowly over time being initiated to have opportunities to become true and whole and have a sort of fierce mastery over his world. And why it was awful was because initiation always involves death. And I know that there's a loss of innocence and there's a sadness of how much of the world now lives in his pocket. And there's a responsibility of things that he will have to contend with that it was actually quite easier when his kingdom and domain his sort of area where he has say was a lot smaller but at the same time he is on time and we prayed and we talked through and we're engaging in it but i realized if i were 13 i would probably if i were him you know if, if i were the kid now and i lived my story as my childhood i would have probably got a phone when i was 11 or 10 and not 13 and i would have been just given the phone with no instruction. And that's a lot of leverage. That's a lot of power. You know, it was Albert Einstein that said, technology is like putting a razor blade in the hand of a three-year-old. A razor blade can do great things, but it's quite a lot of leverage and it can cause great harm. And so Joshua receiving a phone was a really big deal because the framework of it is understanding it is part of God's initiation so he can be the kind of person that in time can know how to use that for good in the service of love, that even his secret life, for example, can be his greatest treasure rather than his greatest shame. And so, Blaine, Your comment is brilliant, and the idea is, what if we were to reframe that the biggest story in our life isn't one of just growing up, but instead it's one of maturation, and in those experiences and process of of being initiated by a father, by a community, rather than merely self-initiation or peer initiation, instead we can become the kind of people that can be entrusted with much and it be the greatest
0: story of our story. So good. So good. Right? Like, yeah, it's just a phenomenal, what I want just right away in hearing is I I feel like this thing, initiation is becoming visible to me. And I think, you know, what I see in the example of Joshua, which is so stunning because, you know, I think right away that what this touches and what like touches for so many young guys is. Who did that happen for? Right. Like, who was, you know, on purpose, on time, entrusted with power in the space of instruction, knowing that it was because they were going to have to, that they were going to grow right. in the sight of adversity? It was like, no, uh, they were kind of flippantly giving something and bad shit happened. Yes, And I, I would just love, can you give me another example? Because you have, from your story now, God has taken you through a process of initiation that you're able to... Then turn and model yes. as you are learning for your son, and I do see these attributes of there is some element of being entrusted with power. Yes, but in the company of a father. Yes, who is providing instruction, and that Joshua or the man, the young man, is to some extent aware that what is happening is a next stage. Yes, what does initiation look like, maybe for the? first-generation guy whose dad isn't doing it for him. I guess, even just out of your story, can you share some examples of where you were becoming aware that God's initiation was taking place for you? Yeah. That's a great question. And and what we all
2: do— is when we hear these things that are enticing and disrupting, we often make some agreement with false comparison. So people now project on Blaine, on Sam, on Morgan, a whole host of things that simply aren't true, right? And so I want to name, for example, I was never initiated until I was in my early 20s. There were simply no categories of initiation. I was Given a car when I turned 16, I had many questions that went unanswered and didn't have a safe place for my masculine soul to wrestle with these things, and I have dark stories to validate the process. And since in my early 20s, I began to turn to God with questions, saying, God, would you father me? And would you initiate me? Though I wouldn't have used that term even at the time, but looking back, I was consenting to a different way. And so I wanna just say with empathy, that was my story too, okay? Um, but w- by way of example, Shoreblaine, a real way to operationalize this perhaps is, I wanna ask four questions for you to hold on to. So at, if we could get to kind of the center of our soul as men, I wanna suggest that there are four questions that might really help us understand where we're at and where God is leading us in initiation. And, and I'll use them to give real short examples of uh, who is God, who is God. And I don't mean to ask that question with a theological answer or a set of beliefs. I mean, Dallas says actions reveal beliefs 100% of the time. So what I mean is look at your last hour. Look at your last day and look at your last year. And what do your actions reveal about what you really think about God? By way of example, okay, so let me give uninitiated. initiated. So I grew up with a dad who grew up poor. His dad grew up poor. And so my dad had a lot of fear around money. And so he pursued money by a way of seeking security and offering love. And so in my family culture, providing money was love. And so I went to college to get rich, become a millionaire and find a Southern Belle. Okay, that was my plan, because life that's how life was going to work. The uninitiated man in me was going to find a life with a hot wife and a lot of money so that I could feel well, I could have joy, right? happiness. And life fell apart. And I found myself in many kind of experiences of this isn't life. This isn't life. And I came to a breaking point where I had to really risk believing is God who he says he is. And and so I had a conversion moment like Paul, a radical conversion where I had to put to death an old life so that I could risk believing is is there a bigger life. And one of them was in the area of finances. And so I had a financial career at Econ Major it, that I was set for the business world and I had a plan to make a lot of money and God asked me to give that up, to crucify that to put to death. And he spoke the verse from Proverbs, I will give you neither riches nor poverty, but I will give you daily bread. And I hated that verse. Who wants that? Like It's so unsecure in and of itself, but it was an initiation process of will you trust me? Will you put your confidence in me? And that was in 1996. It's now 2018. And over these years, my experience has been to find that God is reliable as a generous father. And so that was an orphan. What I actually believed about God was that he was not a father. And so he wasn't generous and he didn't have abundance. And so it was up to me to provide. And a lot of that was through finances. And now as I've watched Sherry and I in our last 17 years of marriage, he is just calling us to more and more risk with finances. I think that's the best word I could use. And when I say risk, I mean risk in saving, risk in spending, risk in giving in different moments, in different circumstances in our walk with God. He's cultivating a risk-taking culture with our finances because I can say there are very large parts of me that have been initiated around this idea of who is God like. And now I know him. There are most days, not all days, but most days when I wake up, I wake up with a sense, an emotional feeling of his generosity, of his care, of his protection, of his provision, of his wealth. I feel abundance. And that wasn't my uninitiated self. And so, who is God? And and I'll just briefly mention the last three, because I know we don't have time for all of it in oh, detail. Can I just jump yeah, in that? please do. Because this is
0: so key. Just around the who is God, I think that I have, like, the story right now for me actually centers on that question, which just to, like, nutshell yes. where that question is becoming so important in a place that I can recognize as initiation is this this whole long, like, process we're starting a year ago. Like, we started hearing God call us to buy a house. Yes. Mm, like, None of my friends are buying houses. Like it it just was like crazy for us give, like in our mid-20s to look at that. And then so then then follows like six months of really God and what do you mean? And in the city, out of the city, and then like talking with builders and having conversations with companies that do non-traditional building systems and then kind of landing on, you know, a very conventional in the market. And so we're we're offering on houses and we just keep getting like dunked on by it's a hard, well, it's just a hard market. And that's a reality here in Colorado Springs. But we kept having these stories where the most recent one, there was a house that had been on the market for six months without a single offer. And we go look at it thinking it's going to be a rat hole. And it's great. And, it, and it's been updated in all the ways that are like necessary for us and needs work, but it's very doable. And Emily is looking at me going, God was holding this house for us. And the hour that we're in the house, they get their first offer and sign it. As we're standing in the living room, and I like, I just feel something happening in me of just this, what I would define as uh, a conviction is being unmasked in me. As Emma's like, you are not well, and what it comes down to is, she's like, well, what, what do you think the father is doing? And letting my heart unedited speak was, uh, he is a bastard. Mm who requires everything from me Mm. without any promise of doing anything back. And Mm. then, and it was like, bullseye, that is actually the thing that the father is, I really believe, like sabotaging house after house in order to drive at this thing in me, which is you are a bastard who will require everything from me and you might not come through. And I just have to live with that. And what he's getting at is like, that is not true. But when my heart is living there, I am fundamentally handicapped in my life with God and in my ability to like love it. I mean, it infiltrates everything. Yes. So you have that first who is God question, like, and if that place, if I can't access that and unpack, when did I start believing that? And how is that shaping my world? and And how do I, like, what would it look like to allow God to address that? Yes. So that I can operate from a deep place of knowing, like that is that is not true of him. Exactly. I know that is not true and that will shape my action. Like when you I can anticipate in a you know a conversation with a friend, right? If I'm like, well, the first question is like, who is God? It, it feels so vague. Yes. Of how is that the beginning place? But I'm seeing like right now, you know, in real time with live ammo, like that actually is the contested territory.
2: Exactly. And it's only that initiation experience that's flushing that reality, right? Yes. So it's a brilliant story, Blaine, because you just described the process of initiation. It's on time. It's a frontier for you because that's one of the other four questions I'd ask you to consider. What is your frontier? The masculine life, always has a frontier that we're meant to live in. It's the edge of our maturation, of our growing, of our being refined and shaped. And you're right at it, right? Where your brother has a house. And so the, you were living on some, some uninitiated, and that's not negative. We all have to mature. Jesus had to mature, right? He, had the, he was without sin and still immature, okay? At points in his life. So you can look at your older brother, he has a house, you can look at older men, they have houses. And the idea of home ownership sounds pretty, uh, something to be pretty proud of, right? It's something that's esteemed in this culture. And I've and I've, we've talked about that. And now you, there's been loss and death. To see your wife excited about a house and see it fall through and then see so many close calls and it's exposed a belief about God. And for you to name that, see, God is perfectly comfortable with who he is, right? He's not shaken by our unbelief, but what he's doing is exposing it now when the risks are small because he's looking to entrust you and us with more and more and more. And so this is a beautiful part about the frontier of the masculine journey is risk always feels massive, but the nature of reality is such that the risk we face today, whatever it is, is small relative to the risk that's coming. And this is so important to lean into elders to understand because whatever risk you're in, it feels enormous. The risk of getting married, the risk of having a baby, the risk of buying a house, right? There is a lot on the line, but it is small in comparison to the kingdom that God is preparing to entrust to your care, both later on in this life and for all of eternity. And so, this is where this is your training, this is your initiation. The question is will you come? Will you enter the process so that you can pass through a death and learn this is bigger than a house, right? And what if you can come out of the house process and know God? not as you have learned him to be, but more as he is, you will be a more initiated man and be ready for the next level. (laughs) I just like,
0: I wish I had like some symbols here. Like I want (laughs) want to give you your,
2: ask me for a witness, Morgan. (laughs) Well, okay, Sam, just, we may be on a tangent and you guys may want to cut this, but you respond to this. So you're watching and listening. You're seeing Blaine's house story, but you're in... A little different season because you have a house and you you know you're you're a couple years ahead in that process. What do you hear and see in Blaine's story or in my own story? What do you see in your brother contrasted to how you now view it? In other words, you lived through some version of that sort of initiation, and mm-hmm. now you're 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 not in that stage directly. And so, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you know now because of your initiation?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. A couple of seconds ago, you you were saying that there are risks that feel huge when you're in them. And afterwards, they weren't. Yes. But for the time and the space, they were. And I had to just laugh at myself because the first thing that came to mind for me was buying a pizza last night was a huge risk for my budget and also my life. And, and it was a series of... Dominoes falling, where it's like, no, we okay. Susie needs a pizza. It's good. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get this. We're just blowing holes in our budget all over the place, which makes me feel incompetent, which makes it feel like it's all falling apart. So it's all connected, right? But it ends up the tip of the iceberg is like this stupid piece of bread with cheese and tomato sauce on it. And so I just have to laugh at myself, going like, yeah, kids, house, marriage. Sometimes it's a $10 pizza. It is. So uh, just some self-humor and self-awareness there. Sam, don't, okay. Let's just stay there for a minute, right? Yeah. Let's not race by it because
2: this is the gold. If people are listening, they, the gift that we can give in this podcast, perhaps that God might be giving through this conversation is the gift of reframing. It's not just a pizza. It isn't at all. Actually, there is much at stake. Okay, because it is your initiation, because the pizza is the physical thing, but it's a doorway into some deep soulful things of you're blowing the budget. It's Christmas time. There not of time that there's more demands on this budget. What do I do with the fact that there is more month than money right now? Okay. Because what it's exposing, if you are, if you become the kind of person that's aware like you two are, and like we hope that the listeners are becoming aware of your, your, your soul's landscape in your internal world, it's exposing what you really believe about God, what you really believe about yourself, what you really believe is the story in which we live, and what you really believe is the frontier of your masculine journey. In other words, your life in God and his kingdom. And so pizza is your doorway. And if you miss it with pizza, it's okay. God will come around, but you miss it with everything. Right. Right. And so I just want to not minimize that's beautiful. Last night it was pizza for you. Last night it was Joshua's cell phone. Last right. night it was your house. It's all frontier. But when you have the lens and the construct of initiation and you understand that God is the initiator, that he's, he is initiating us, that's the beautiful part about initiation is, Blaine, back to your original question, Like it isn't up to us. It's what God loves to do. It's what God is doing. And so we are invited to participate. And at the beginning of my initiation in college, all these uninitiated places, I came to a point of understanding I am uninitiated and my world needs more than me that I'm bringing. And one day I'll have a wife and one day I'll have children and I wanna do meaningful work and leave a lasting legacy and I don't know what to do about those questions. And I began consenting to a process. I began asking questions. I began getting curious about my own life. I began allowing the smaller stories to die, believing that I have to pass through death in order that I might come
1: into a bigger life. And often, it's over a pizza. Totally. So something that... your question to me about seeing Blaine's story, like it, it's all connected for mm-hmm. me. Um, I'm, I'm taking it back to the, the way that our culture is so depraved of these very intentional acts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your driver's license, it's your cell phone, it's your ability to vote or go buy cigarettes, it's your ability to drink legally. And what I'm struck by in so many of those moments is that they're the ones that cause us to realize what hasn't been happening. Yes. So it's in that moment when you have the driver's license, you go, wait, re- really? Like where you feel, I feel like the loss there of, yes. of the things that haven't been happening up to that point. And so the home was another one, like Susie and I walked through that three years ago and it was a very different story, but God was in it. And so there's this moment where Blaine and Emily are in the middle of, like, are you going to engage it? Are you going to engage all the stuff it's it's stirring up? Because if not, there will come a moment when you will hold the keys to your house and you'll be standing in there. And instead of feeling the relief of, man, this has been such a battle, now we've got this house, that might come. But there's also going to be this, oh shit, moment where you have the thing, you have the threshold, you have this next identifiable moment. I had a friend of mine... That I wrote about in killing lions who when they bought a car they started dancing around it saying now i am a man now i have a car now i'm like there's this genuinely like threshold moment right but i think pretty quickly on the heels of the house the car the pizza there's this looking back going oh i wish that maybe i had engaged some of this stuff beforehand because that's what's unique in, Blaine, I'm in blaine's story of he's admitting <laughs> what exactly he right. thinks about god whereas 99% of us might be like, I don't really want to, like, don't ask me that question. Yes. I want to I blow past that question. Like, let's get to the next house. Like this so- this story sucks. I can't believe it was on the market for six months. Now it's gone. Like, let's go get the next one. And they'd move past too quickly what God is up to in the minute and exactly. in, in those moments. And so there's this line and 180 degrees South that Yvonne Chouinard says that we love when he's talking about the, the people climbing Everest that have the mints on their pillows and the porters taking care of some things for them. And they're not, they are doing a physical feat, but they're not entering into the, the day-to-day and what it asks of them. And he says that they were assholes when they started and they are assholes when they got back. <laughs> that's the best, exactly. Like that's it's what comes what to mind don't want. with the pizza or the cell phone. Like all of these things, they have, there's these moments. Like that's what's, that's, which, exactly. I don't know. I think in those moments, I'm aware that there were choices that could have been made. And I want to be more aware of those in the moment rather than at the threshold, the wedding night, the, the, oh shit moments. And so the, the risk is believing that what
2: if we have a father that's orchestrating our initiation, but he's looking for our consent to a process because until we stop taking the shortcut until we stop minimizing the lack of initiation until we stop simply gravitating towards the areas that we have competency. Therefore, we feel good. We'll be an asshole when we start. We'll be an asshole when we finish, right? There won't affect that deep soul transformation. And when the stakes increase, we will come to understand, oh, that was needed. My whole heart was needed for
0: what's at stake. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I know we're a little bit coming in for a landing on this topic, but there's one piece that feels so important and it is the fact that a death is required. One of the things, you know, one of my favorite writers on this planet is Flannery O'Connor and she's really mystifying to a lot of readers who, like, kind of come unequipped to her stories, because, you know, like, in this story, a guy accidentally shoots his mom when he's trying to shoot this other girl. In this story, like, the climax of the story is, like, this woman who owns land being gored and killed by a bull, and, like, and, you know, we've all read, maybe if we went to a public high schools, a good man is hard to find, in which case this kind of renegade misfit character, like, kills this whole family on the side of the road. And you're like, what is she doing? When actually she is one of the most hopeful and Mm. just redemptive writers Mm. that exists. You know, she's a devout Catholic. She knows God Mm. really well. And when she would reference her own work, what she just talks about is, in the example of A Good Man It's Hard to Find, you have this grandmother character who is totally vain, really blind to the relational realities of her family. And then in this moment at the side of the road, held at gunpoint, she has this moment of realization and she's killed. And what Flannery O'Connor says is, there is something deep in this person that cannot live in the life they are being called to live. That cannot live in the presence of God. And what you are seeing uh, is a narrative I want to say exaggerated, but not exaggerated. What you're seeing is an embodied uh, representation of something in them has to literally die. This landowner has to be gored by a bull, and that is the grace of God coming to this woman because who she has been cannot survive, cannot live in who she is meant to be and what she's being called into, and so... You talk about, they understood that the early church understood a baptism was a kind of death. And we understand that in each level of initiation, something in us needs to die. Can you speak more to what needs to die? Sure. And what does it mean to enter with eyes open, a place that you can now see as initiation, understanding that, some, that a death is going to be required, something in you has to die with Christ? Yeah. That is a
2: beautiful question. And just Flannery O'Connor, what I so appreciate what you're saying, Blaine, is she is offering a metaphor of a spiritual reality, right? Every great story borrows its power from the gospel. And so what I would, by way of response, what I first suggest is watch a couple great movies that have this theme, right? My favorite all-time movie, Dances with Wolves, where John Dunbar has to die so that Dances with wolves could be reborn his true self right the last samurai right where you have a death of lieutenant Algren, like the american soldier who actually is reborn in the actual true character and culture of the warrior that he is but he needs to die to a world to a story to beliefs and enter through a process and become i mean Kung Fu Panda, The Lion King, it's everywhere, right? Pick a few films and look for the theme. So what I would say is part of it, the response to honor the listeners is it is discovery. Find great stories where you see the theme and ask yourself that question. Who is being put to death and who is being resurrected or restored? But by way of kind of, again, lens, I think that would be helpful is If you have given any part of your life over to God, that is to say to consent to God, then you, like me and all of us, have a sort of civil war within us with two selves that are always operating. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans 6 and 7, where he says, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I do, I don't want to do. He's describing two people within him. And back to the first idea I shared, Paul is very mature. He's very aware of his internal world. And he has become so mature that he is very articulate in observing and speaking of the false in him that needs to be put to death. And the easiest way to describe it, there's all sorts of semantics we can get stuck on. Old nature, sinful man, old self, false self, poser, all of it represents a person that we have become to avoid pain and make life work apart from God. So we all put up a sophisticated persona, a fig leaf, a something that makes us avoid pain and make life work apart from God. So for you, Blaine, it could have been in a housing story of acting with M, like everything's okay and God's taking care of us, and God just has a different house. But inside, you're feeling things, that you're not letting her in. And thankfully you have a wife that wouldn't even let you go there, right? She takes you to the deep, but you could self protect to avoid the pain of what the heck's happening. I thought God said buy a house, but I'm being thwarted. And Sam with you at the budget, you could just buy the pizza and not even think about it, right? You could just say, I'm not going there. Like I'm just putting on the credit card. I'm choosing not to even engage. That's a way of the false man living out of fear, living out of shame, and we all have a false man. That man is self-protective and is not connected to the life of God. The true man is the person God is restoring that doesn't exist apart from God. Literally, moment by moment, integration with God. As Jesus says, he says, I'm one with the Father, and my prayer is that you would be one with the Father as I am one with the Father. I don't do anything apart from what I see my Father doing. And so there is a true man in us that God has seated where we bear his image in a very unique way, and that's the person God's after. So what I would suggest is... This process of death to life is putting to death a small life, a small story, an independent reality that's what we have become. That's as deep as the garden inherited from Adam and Eve, but ultimately it's the person we bring to our world as a result of fear and shame that keeps us with a false sense of security and avoids having to need God, that person is being put to death. And the true person is being resurrected, who I truly am, God's image in me, my uniqueness, my gender, all of who God meant when he meant me, being restored and strengthened to have a real-time relationship in the real story of who God is, of the real story of who I am, the real story of what is the gospel, and the real story of maturing into taking my full place as a king or queen
0: in God's kingdom. If I were listening, which I am going to be, <laughs> I just want to hit like back back and sit with that again because the invitation you're framing really all of a sudden becomes the process through which my heart not only comes alive, but Grows into the destiny that God intended before the creation of the world. This is what that process looks like, and I think even that, and then the ability to reframe places where I feel, you know, like abandoned, thwarted, yes, ticked, yes, just dis- like dismissed, irritated, whatever it is, all, all,
1: the, all <laughs> those, all the places
0: uh, in a span of thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, that suddenly there is this invitation to look at those and go whoa is god actually pursuing me into initiation so that you know i'm ignoring it in my budget but then my relationships with my best friends starts getting frustrating too yes and it, i could, it's really easy for me to go to everything in my life it's just one damn thing after another whereas what it really could be is the father going I do not want to leave you as you are. You are actually meant to be called into this other person. So just I am systematically making it more difficult for you to escape. Yes. Your initiation in your yes, life
2: precisely. By
0: making the places and I've had that happen so many times where I've just kind of been like gritting my teeth of yep. like you know what, you know, we're in a season where <sighs> there's a lot of stresses cuz it's having a baby but and then it will be like the week that you know my car needs all new something. Yes. And I'm just like, man, I just can't cut a brake. Whereas I think having this view has allowed to begin to shift of like, oh, actually, you know, the kind of person who can, who's willing to like take the education, you know, figure out how to change his own brake plates, yes. like with help from others, like is also the kind of person who comes back into parenting a daughter with like an increased measure of confidence and with just a reserve of, this is
1: possible i can do exactly so something i'm struck by is a reaction that that part of my social mind is having of like well this sounds a lot like people wanting hand-holding like there's there's a critical part of the millennial vision that has this idea of special snowflakes that want things done differently and this conversation is not that but if you look at culture Culture's heroes are orphans in comic books that are like, they make it happen on their own. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense of pride and accomplishment and almost disdain if you had to go a different way or had to have an easier way. And I'm so struck by in this conversation, just like in the face of that, initiation isn't handholding. It, it is not just this door that's like, oh, you want to come in here? Don't worry. Like, we're going to soften everything for you. Don't worry about dying to these other things. You get to keep all that too. And everything's yes. going to be fine and taken care of. That it's actually like death and danger and true leaving parts of yourself behind that we're not good happens. And that's actually, that's so different than, I think, the critic that wants to say like, I never got this. You shouldn't get this this shouldn't be easy. And you go, like, actually, the easy thing is hiding. The hard thing, it might be stepping into this because this is far from just having your hand held. I don't know. That's something I'm struck by as as we're coming toward the end of this conversation.
2: Well, for the person that says, yeah, not interested, right? I want to do it my way. I think my response is just in all sincerity of, have at it, go for it. Like, and let me know how that goes. And, The person that reacts kind of critically, I just kind of turn with them towards compassion in my own heart to go, yep, that's often out of an uninitiated place, right? That's the boy that's angry. And I feel like I can come with a compassion because I'm not speaking from being initiated as a boy. I was initiated as a man with the boy places in me into manhood. But What we get the privilege of doing is becoming, through God, what we didn't have. Becoming, through God, what we didn't have. And the stakes will get higher. And Sam, you know, the most impactful Anson's article, um, there's a lot of great ones, but the article about Patrick was deeply impactful to me. And uh, I think because it was so vulnerable in strength and what it chronicled is your story of initiation, of passing through death, of dreams and of hopes and passing into a larger life. And to watch you with Finley now it's that much more beautiful and holy and true because of the Sam that Finley gets because of what you had to walk through with Patrick. And so what I want to suggest is God is not in a hurry. He is simply not in a hurry with our initiation. Tozer says he waits to be wanted. And so we can make life work apart from God as long as we want and as deep as we want. But the Paul that we meet in scriptures when it says his joy was infectious, his happiness was infectious, his confidence was infectious, it was who he became, and it did not correlate with circumstances that make a person joyful and confident. And happy, and so the question I would ask back to some of those responses is, if there were a way to become the kind of person that could say, now that I have gone through my initiation, I am ready for anything, anywhere, or in the message translation, whatever I have or don't have, wherever I am or not am, I can make it through the one Who makes me who I am. If that's available, I want to find it.